Welcome back to In Omnia Paratus. I'm Jay, like the letter. And I'm Angela, also known as AVO. We are two friends diving into our own past and present, evaluating if we were ever truly ready for anything. We discuss all things from the definition of dating to all the things school didn't prepare us for. Listen as we talk about career changes, give plenty of unsolicited opinions, and work on becoming the people we want to see in the world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In Omnia Paratus. Jay, how you doing? Didn't I just say that? I know. I panicked. <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't ready. Good afternoon. Good morning. I'm Jay's Echo, apparently, today. I prefer parrot, but it's fine. If I'm a parrot, does that make you the pirate? Oh, I'll be a pirate. There's our Halloween costume. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, I, I'd make a perfect parrot with my fear of birds and all. Yes, yeah, still don't get that one. But before we start today's episode, you're much better at these than I am. Want to give the disclaimer? Dearest listeners, today we will be talking about some hot button topics. Some of you may know the show Jenny and Georgia from Netflix. You may have seen it. You may have only heard about it. But Jay and I recently watched it and we felt that there were a lot of issues explored within the show that we would like to talk about here on the podcast. We know that there has been quite a bit of controversy surrounding the portrayal of the Black experience and we want to be very sensitive to that. As neither of us are black, we cannot speak to exactly how well that was handled within the show. But as two multiracial individuals in the world today, we felt that there were some things that we could really relate to as they have happened in our personal experience. So today- And we, The Bachelor. Oh yeah. So today we're going to be exploring a little bit of that. We hope that you want to listen with us and hear a little bit about what we think, what we've experienced. And going along with that same thread as well, we thought that we would touch in on our thoughts relating to the controversy currently surrounding The Bachelor as well with Chris Harrison and Rachel Kirkconnell. And I mean, well, frankly, frankly, a, a lot of areas of The Bachelor that are currently surrounded in controversy. So and have been for quite some time. Yes, and have been for quite some time. We we stand with Rachel Lindsay. Exactly. So if you want to skip today's episode, we completely understand, but we hope that you do listen with us today. Thank you. I'm just going to say if you feel the need to skip, you might have some learning and unlearning to do. Possibly. Possibly you have also done a lot of learning and unlearning and you're wiped for this week. We also get that because I think that goes to the whole thing of like your wellness feeds the wellness of the movement. If you're constantly consuming content that is talking to you about various issues and struggles, it really does start to weigh on you. So there's nothing wrong with saying like, I have done X amount today. I'm going to start again tomorrow. I'm sensing a no there. Let's get into it. <laughs> it's not an, it's not a no. It's a, I feel that message of wellness and protecting oneself is for a specific group. It's not for everyone. It's not a general message we should all take in. Like in general, your wellness is important. But my point is for people where this is a choice, whether they dip their toe in and have these conversations and think about whether this is an issue they'd like to cover. Your your security and safety of having to deal with this versus the wellness of people who are marginalized and suffering are not equal. And so I yes. agree that people who are living, existing, trying to find their way, wellness breaks all of that. But if it's someone where this is a choice of whether you'd like to educate, learn, get yourself involved with, 
your well, not your wellness doesn't come first because it still does mental health and make, put your mask on before someone else's, but your wellness and making yourself a little uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable or are you overwhelmed and getting re-traumatized? Those are not the same thing. Okay. I, I like that distinction. Yes. I'm not trying to sound and I mean, I guess we'll start here since this is kind of the point. One of the big things that recently has come to my attention, the CH drama from the Bachelor franchise is how much dealing with what is not a political issue, but is a human issue Mm -hmm. of racism, particularly in this country, is a choice for a segment of Americans. How much it's a choice to get involved, a choice to educate yourself, a choice to not be in an echo chamber. It is a choice to deal with these issues. And I've grown up as a minority in this country. However, I've grown up in an area where I've never been the minority in a space I'm in. All my schools have been dominantly Asian. My university was dominantly Asian, even though it was much more diverse than my other schools. Our university was still 46% Asian, which was the Mm -hmm. largest majority on campus. I've always been in the quote in-group in where I've been, and I still deal with these things. Like it's not a choice for me even with all of that privilege of being around so many people who look like me and have similar backgrounds and stories. I think it really goes to show just how deeply the white perspective is built into- Oh, you're going there. Our Yeah, just it, it goes to show like how deeply it's built into the perspective of our society. Everything really is made to cater to a certain group and then let in others as they wish. And not in a princess bride kind of way as you wish, as like a gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Wesley. I was like, I couldn't remember his name. I know. I actually just watched that the other day. It was on our rom-com puzzles. Mm-hmm. I have not seen the full interview between CH and Rachel Lindsay. I've only seen the highlights, read the articles afterwards. I'm, like I've said before, I'm new to Bachelor Nation. I've only watched the franchise for about a year now. And I would really like to give him the benefit of the doubt that he was just trying to like toe some sort of line, ask a question that a lot of people were thinking about, just like be that one voice for a majority. Even if that was true, there are so many other better ways to go about it. So Jay, you watch watch the talk sometimes, right? No, I've seen clips, but no, I didn't watch. I haven't. Um, okay, so I, I think it's the talk with Carrie Ann Anaba. Yes. Yeah. So she actually asked a question a couple weeks ago. Sorry, guys, we're just really going there. She posed a question to another panelist. Is it okay to say the N-word in any context? Why do you want to? So she was saying that a lot of derogatory terms had been used towards Asians and then had been repurposed within the Asian community, and she thought that because they said them, other people felt okay to say them. So her question to the panel was, because the N-word is used in hip-hop music, is that why you think some people think it's okay to say? And they told her, absolutely not. It's not okay in any context. They had the full conversation, but Carrie Ann put that out there. And before she asked that question, she said, I'm not sure about this. I don't really know from my perspective. I would like to hear from yours. And I think other people would as well, because I think that they have that same confusion. And they had a really difficult conversation. Carrie Ann actually ended up crying. And I think someone else ended up crying as well. Um, But nobody took any offense to it. It was just about how 
how they were trying to be open. And I think if that's what CH was trying to do, he really failed at that. You you need to watch. I think before you do the show notes and maybe frankly address it on the Instagram, you need to watch the full interview of CH and Rachel Lindsay because I've done a lot. Of, not I'm not. You could be giving him a benefit of the doubt, but like that's not how the full interview goes. So this was a part of the interview after I think whatever they talked about the recap of the episode. Right. What Rachel Lindsay starts out asking basically is like, we've heard these allegations. Is Rachel going to say anything? Should she say anything? Whose onus is it on The Bachelor, her individually, all of those kinds of questions? Both. Well, no. As soon as she says that, within like three seconds, the term woke police comes up. And then kind of the big kicker, which... I'm sure you've seen, I'm sure anyone who's in Bachelor Nation or associates with the franchise or watches the franchise or heard anything, when you hear him say, who the hell are you? And then you see him very quickly backtrack to, well, who am I? Who is anyone to comment on something of this sort? I listened to Rachel Lindsay's podcast with Van Latham, I think is his last name, called Higher Learning to hear her perspective. She's obviously off Instagram. She got bullied off Instagram. Her podcasts have gotten tanked because of her thoughts on Rachel Kirkconnell's apology or Kirkconnell, I've heard it both ways. Rachel Lindsay very gracefully both sides saying I want to forgive them both I want to also see what they do next and just with those words alone she's been getting massive online criticism and hate but going back to what CH said to her going back to the point of like when I brought up the podcast is you hear her say on her podcast that she asked a question that a bunch of interviewers have been asking mm-hmm. and clearly today he had no publicist he had nothing they Extra also did not edit the interview at all. It was very clear that CH woke up that day and was like, I'm just going to fully be myself. And the amount of restraint and body language you see Rachel Lindsay holding in Mm -hmm. as she's asking these questions, you're right. He might have been trying to speak for, quote, a majority of people or who they think is the majority of the demographics. You could tell how impassioned he was in the words he chose to use and the phrases he chose to use. Mm-hmm. This is what he meant. Maya Angelou, when people show you who they are, believe them. I think we very clearly saw who he was in that interview. I don't think someone who really wants to have the conversation uses the words woke police. Who the hell are you to have an issue with this? It was 2018. Mm-hmm. There was no interview. There was no conversation. No, I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that if CH was trying to speak for the people that didn't translate, if he really, he came in there and he used a lot of language that pretty much under, that just, it com- it completely undermines any work that he thought he was trying to do. And the whole point of this interview was literally to address racism. Well, no, the whole point of the interview was to just recap and she fed him like a few crumbs and like he took the bite. Wait, this was just a recap interview? This was just her weekly segment where she goes over the episode and that it was week six. Rachel Lindsay felt to bring up that it's been six weeks. We haven't heard a statement. What are your thoughts? Is there going to be a statement? Where does the onus fall? That's the point. This was just a typical interview. The reason it it was is because he jumped, he, he took it. He, he took it there. Oh, okay. So what I've seen so far of the clips, it's always been positioned to me as Bachelor franchise addresses racism in failed interview. It wasn't supposed to, though. That's the point. Like, ah, okay. It was just a small question in a greater interview that either happened before or was supposed to happen after this question was dropped, placed. Okay, yeah, that that changes things a lot. This is just her regular Tuesday interview after a Monday episode of The Bachelor, and CH was the guest, and she was questioning him. See, I thought, so 
what I had read was that he had been pulled out to speak with Rachel Lindsay specifically to address everything that was going on. I didn't know that this was just a recap. This was a recap, and I'm sure that question was supposed to come up during the recap. Mm -hmm. But it could have came up in a much, yes, we do plan, she is planning on making a statement, she is, why hasn't she spoken out yet? Well, because X, Y, and Z. He felt the need to go on a 17 and a half minute tirade about it. See, I don't understand that. Just from the perspective of being the face of The Bachelor, they couldn't, I don't know, I feel like maybe this speaks to a little bit about how much I don't know about The Bachelor franchise, but they couldn't find someone with a more like clear devotion to diversity and openness. To host? Yeah. Well, remember, as CH says in that interview, were Confederate flags and plantation parties that had already been banned from fraternities and sororities, but still happened on these campuses, that bad in 2018? Or is it just bad now through the 2020-2021 lens? A hundred percent bad at every single moment. See, that's what I don't understand about how some of these conversations come up and particularly when the apologies start to come where it's like, I didn't know what I didn't know until I knew it. I absolutely hate that. I don't like that. I don't like that phrase though because, because a lot of people, at least in my experience, a lot of people who have used it and directed it towards me, I have been telling you about all of the things that have been going on that I have experienced for a long time. And I'm sure that other people outside of outside of me who, who have been attempting to educate their friends and their family, coworkers, etc. about this, who have then heard them use that phrase, are also just as upset because it's like, oh, I'm sorry, was I was I speaking another language? Could you not hear me? Was I astral projecting that day and you couldn't hear me because I was on another plane? Like, well, it just didn't matter as much until this year. I'm saying these things very sarcastically as a way for me to not scream. I think that as we continue this conversation, a lot of good comes out of it, a lot of bad comes out of it. But the first thing we need to stop doing, which I said before and I'll say again, how good of a person you are in your morals, racism and the isms are not a factor of that. And if that's the only way you're looking through it, through a good or bad moral compass, we're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I make jokes about learning and unlearning and these phrases that have been popularized and performativized because it's what they are. Yeah. So here and now, let's just all agree to stop with the performative activism and actually commit to some real comprehension and absorption of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also a balance between people of color or not just people, BIPOC, BIPOC individuals and non-BIPOC individuals and finding that balance between educating yourself and learning yourself and trying to do the work and not relying on BIPOC people to do the work for you, but also making sure your opinions and voice and thoughts do not become louder than what's being said in those communities. It's a balance. Mm -hmm. And it might seem performative at first. Things might be perceived a certain way, but co-conspiratorship, allyship is a lifelong process and a lifelong practice. You don't kind of get to wear the badge and be like, I opened the door for someone today. Check. You are not done. You did the right, decent thing to do. You did not do anything above and beyond what you needed to. So to dip into the contestants of the lovely Bachelor franchise a bit, one of something that I heard from one of the contestants, and there's a bunch of drama going on with different contestants right now, such as Taylor Nolan, who 
who has been a big advocate, but then some old tweet surfaced. We're really not going to get into it. A bunch of people have spoken out. A bunch of people in who know her, who know the franchise, have spoken about it. Go to Instagram. That's not what we're here to talk about today. But something that she had said earlier about on her podcast is once she came off The Bachelor, she was added to a Facebook group called like Just, I think it was something called Just Colored Enough or Just Something Enough. What? So it's all of the people who had like to get on the show. Was this made by past contestants? Correct. By past people of color who had been on the show. Once they came off the show, they would join this group and I'm assuming had a lot to say. Oh my God. Okay. So just to put a little bit of my awe in perspective, I really didn't know anything about The Bachelor until this year. Frankly, when everyone started talking about how Claire's season featured the most diversity of any contestants and then bringing Taisha in and learning that Rachel Lindsay was the first Black Bachelorette. First Black lead. First Black lead, yes. I thought that that meant she was just the first Black lead. I thought that there had been a Hispanic Latinx Bachelorette or an Asian Bachelorette or Bachelor. I didn't, I didn't know that. So I, I now understand a little bit more going through this process why this is seemingly so perplexing to people from the outside because I actually, I hadn't questioned it from the beginning. I was just like, oh, this is just, they're just alternating this year. They have diversity. No, apparently they have no diversity and that's mind blowing. How could a show go on for 25 years? 25 years, right? 25 seasons. It didn't start before 2000. All, how could a show go on for almost 20 years and not feature real diversity? Um, Friends, How I Met Your Mother. I mean, I frankly want to throw Boy Meets World in there. All, thi- all, all things I've never really watched until Boy the past World, few years. Um, okay. Gilmore Girls, if we want to be fair. I know. I have thought about that. As we, I think this is a good time to transition to Ginny and Georgia. Something completely off topic. I saw uh an instagram post like as you get older do you more and more feel kinship with emily gilmore and feel like lorelei and rory are just like immature and re-watching it this time i was kind of like huh i still think emily's a bit overbearing but i also have started to see more flaws in lorelei and rory going through it this time and mm-hmm. i don't know if i appreciate that <laughs> I know, right? It's like, do we all just age into Emily Gilmore? Like, I think the biggest one for me was um, in, like, not taking the revival into account. Someone wrote out this confessional and was like, so the worst thing that happened to Rory Gilmore is that someone told her that she did they didn't think she was talented, and she then proceeded to drop out of school and waste six months of her life moping. And I was like, huh, that's actually kind of true. Yeah. Not, not, not a great goal. Yeah, and Lorelai buying her house. Right. I actually never even thought about that. Lorelai Gilmore bought their home using her trust, trust fund money. Yeah, I'm not going to speak for it. I still love the show dearly and for what it did for me during my formative years and for the things I still love about it. But definitely watching the show as I mature is like a different experience. I still stand Jess. I'm a Logan girl through and through. But Ginny and Georgia, Netflix's new teen series that originally got a lot of buzz for being compared to Gilmore Girls. They even throw a line in there in the first episode of, we're like the Gilmore Girls, but with bigger boobs. It is about a surprising teen mom, daughter, and in this situation, she has another child from a different relationship who moved to a small town in New England. So just from the premise before that line in the show came out, every news outlet quote news outlet and entertainment outlet and everyone was like is this the new Gilmore Girls Netflix is doing another Gilmore Girls what's happening with Gilmore Girls is this show going to be the new Gilmore Girls so we watched the trailer 
I was frankly just offended by all of the Gilmore Girl comparisons when I didn't know about the show. I didn't want it. It's like, oh, oh, and the G's. That was another reason why I think this is Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. From the trailer, you can tell it's definitely not Gilmore Girls. And after watching the show, it's definitely not Gilmore Girls. And I feel like people clung to what they could connect it to, to what they could market it as, or what they think people would click on. Like people would click on new Gilmore Girls, not Ginny and Georgia X, or what is Ginny and Georgia? Those all came after the show came out. But before everyone decided to link it to Gilmore Girls based on the fact that it was a teen mom, small town, New England. That they describe as looking like Paul Revere boned a pumpkin spice latte. So I actually didn't watch the trailer before I started watching the series, and I just heard about the Gilmore Girls references too. Absolutely nothing like Gilmore Girls in the way that plot develops. Definitely more, I think, Jay, you said Desperate Housewives. I think it calls in a little bit of Little Fires Everywhere. Yeah. I mean, here, let's go surface level for a second. Mm -hmm. This show went from summer to January, I think. There were no seasonal shifts. That was like a focal point of Gilmore Girls was the changing of the seasons. Wait, to January? I I thought it was just like two or three months. Well, you go from summer to school to... There's Halloween. Past Halloween. They don't do Thanksgiving. Okay, yes, moving on for that. Yes, huge hallmark of Gilmore Girls is the seasonal shifts. Fall would have still happened in Gilmore Girls. Yes, so we got fall. Surfacely, we also have Jenny and Georgia, teen mom and and teenage daughter, or mom and teenage daughter who are very close in age because mom had her when she was a teenager. But the fun fact in real life, they're only seven years apart. That's so crazy. The one thing I do like about the addition of her little brother, Austin, is that we get to see something of a relationship between them, like a very close relationship that we never got with Rory and Gigi. Oh, love Austin. Mm-hmm. I stand little kids with good cheeks and glasses. Oh, I know, Austin and he was so adorable. into Harry Potter. So cute. Next. Um, then there is Jenny's father, Zion, who is out of the picture, crazy in love with her mother, Georgia, rides a motorcycle, drifts in and out of their enters life Enters on a will. motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Enters on a motorcycle. You could put those two freaking scenes side by side of when the dads come to make their entrance. Zion is Christopher Hayden. Hop on, hop off. Take your top off. Zion can sing though. And apparently Christopher Hayden is an insurrection supporter. Oh. Moving on. Okay. Um, Yeah, then we get some very small comparison. Oh, well, no, actually, I'm so sorry. We have another huge comparison. Joe, who runs the diner, or I'm sorry, the cafe. Sav from Degrassi, as some of you may know him. He is the show's answer to Luke, only his diner is a cafe that's organic and would probably be beloved by Emily Gilmore if she had to pass through this town. And has a farm. And a horse named Milkshake. With horses. You know a show is shot in Canada when you recognize people from Degrassi. And then we have another Degrassi alum, uh, Sarah Weissglass. Sure. I think think that's how you say her name. But yes, she plays Max on the show, Frankie and Degrassi, very similar characters, so I basically just called her Frankie throughout the entire show. And she's sort of like the show's answer to a Lane-like character. They definitely have some similarities, but she's also very different. Then there's Ginny's love interest, Hunter, who is very Dean-like, and her other love interest, Marcus? Marcus. Marcus. Marcus, who is pretty Jess-like, just the early years. I wish they had given Jess the emotional depth they had given Marcus. Right? They probably 
probably were saving that for his spinoff and then they just never went there. But we get it in Jack Pearson? Peterson? Pearson. Yeah. Yeah. Jess in an alternate timeline. And then we get, oh no, I'm blanking. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Roland and Jocelyn. Jocelyn shit is also on this show. Yeah. She plays Frankie Max's mom. Named? Ellen. There you go. Yes. So character-wise, there are a ton of similarities between this cast and the Gilmore Girls. Archetype-wise. However, we have a huge shift in terms of the storyline. So- Murder! Yeah. Georgia was a teenage runaway who left an abusive family home, fell in with a biker gang, Blood Eyes, met Zion on his gap year between high school and college, got pregnant, lived with him and his family for a while. They attempted to take conservatorship of her child- then she ran away so that she wouldn't lose Jenny. Got locked. And let's not spoil this series. <laughs> yes. For once. Oh, you know this is going to be so hard for me. Okay. So yeah. Fast forward to 15 years later, they now live in a small New England town, which they've just moved to from Texas after Georgia's Austin. husband, Jenny's stepfather, has just died of a heart attack. Yes. He owns a yoga franchise that is pretty successful. Yoga so Boboga. Yes. And Georgia named all of her children after the cities in which they were born. So Ginny is short for Virginia, Austin, Texas. And fun fact on the Netflix after party, we learned that the most common name after a location is Madison. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's a lie. It's Jackson. Fuck. Jackson's the most popular. The options were Madison, Charlotte, and Jackson. And Jackson was the right answer, and I knew it too. I love how the after the party started, Madison. and I I wasn't familiar with the actors who came in. But she's like, and my name is London already, so you don't even have to like write me into a, write me into a new character. Mm, yes, I thought you were meaning like how the after party started, like as a series. And I got confused. I'm back. But yes, so this is the basic premise of Jenny and Georgia, and new people, small town. Lots of secrets. Mm -hmm. Secrets is something we really don't have in Gilmore. And more Girls. history than you would expect. So that was um, the mother-daughter secrets we get later in the series. Mm -hmm. Oh, another familiar face. Nice guy from Heart of Dixie. I don't remember his character's name, but he's Mayor also in Friday Night Lights. I think he also might be in Virgin River. Probably. Everyone's in Virgin River, even though Virgin River, from what I've seen, is literally Heart of Dixie. Mm-hmm. Like, literally the same line. Small town doc, big big city doctor goes to small town doctor. And the dad is the same person. Like, the, the old grumpy private practice guy is the same person from Heart of Dixie. Oh, wow. And now yeah. they're just joined by Riggs. Yeah. Okay. So, those were, that's like our synopsis of like what happened. And then the big thing, which we wanted to speak on in the show. So the big differences were the murder, the mystery, and then also the active choice of including the intersectional struggle of BIPOC individuals surrounded by dominantly white, and I don't know if you would say this, suburban communities, whether white and suburban or just white play a factor in this. You're, you grew up suburbier than I did. So I don't know if you would make a distinction of just white or white suburban. I think that for the sake of where we are right now, we're going to go with just um, a predominantly white community because I think depending upon the area that you live in, suburban means something very different. So we're, okay, we're just jumping right into this. In the way that the show has shaped itself, I think that for the way that they placed it, they were focusing on a very specific perspective of those who are multiracial or living as a part of a blended family that is set mainly within predominantly white communities. And 
I think that in film and television, that's actually not something that we see very often. So I know for Jay and myself, it was strange, but also very refreshing because there was something about a familiarity to a lot of the to a lot of the things that happened throughout the show that we could see very much within our daily lives. Mm-hmm. So I know, for example, one of the things that a lot of critics have brought up about the show is that they don't like the way that the topic of the BIPOC struggle is handled in relation to Jenny as she moves throughout the town because they focus mainly on microaggressions and low-hanging fruit microaggressions at that. Yes, but frankly, it's a Jay, I don't know if this is your same experience, but in mine, that's been a lot of what people go for in my life. Yeah, I would definitely say that. Question for you. Mm-hmm. You do you do you prefer the word Latin or, or Hispanic? I don't know. I usually I usually go for Hispanic just because I've been told that Latin refers to Central to South America, mm-hmm. but then Hispanic also isn't right either. So everyone, we're very sorry if we're using the wrong term. Okay. We're well, we're, we're 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 going with it and we will fact check more. You're part European. Mm-hmm. And part part Central American? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. No, here. We we can break this down, everyone. Um, my mom, her family is from Spain. Both of her parents. Well, her her mom is from Spain. Her my grandfather on my mom's side is of a slightly more mixed origin. I think there's some Native American thrown in there. And then on my dad's side, his father is Swedish and his mother is half Mexican, half French. To me, Both of my parents look very white. They're both what we would call white passing. I definitely look a little bit more. You don't pass as white. I don't, I don't pass as white. A lot of people think that I'm Middle Eastern or I get, I get Jewish or Jewish. I get, um, a lot of people ask me if I'm from Brazil. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I have. Okay, well, here, my point wasn't even like what people assume. My question was going to be, when was the first time or what's the closest experience you have in TV reality, not reality, in like in media that you saw yourself, whether that's someone who's multiracial, whether that's someone who grew up with two parents who present white who and you don't present white. Like, what was the first example you've ever had of that kind of experience? Like the close, or not the first, the closest you've had to seeing your experience reflected. Hmm. I actually I actually don't know if I've ever seen something that I could directly relate to. Mm-hmm. There are experiences in Jenny and Georgia that I've had, but I've never really seen them expressed through the context of someone who looks like me or looks like me within my family. Mm-hmm. So still looking for that to this day. I've read about it more in books, but I've never actually seen it. Okay, well, the reason I brought this up, this show had a character unfortunately she wasn't a main character who has my experience she is a girl adopted from an asian country in a jewish family and i think if people were to guess whether your my experience would be shown first it probably would have been yours see i don't know i don't think so because i i think that there's frankly in a lot of the research that i've done in prepping for various podcast episodes i think that there are some very deeply ingrained stereotypes about what it is to be hispanic latinx in america Mm. and a lot of those I think a lot of those really aren't questioned in terms of just the vastness of what that experience really is. A topic for another day. Mm-hmm. No, but so this was Nora, right? This was Nora, yes. I, yeah, that Nora has that experience. And 
it was really, it was very odd and confusing and kind of, I, my friends joke that I'm like a unicorn, finding an Asian Jew is a unicorn. So it's always like one of, it's like my one like fun fact party trick I pull out. (laughs) Because I can't lick my elbow, can't lick my nose. Apparently, it's humanly impossible to tap the, your palm to your shoulder. I learned that on TikTok. But I um, can but do just it. Certain, of course. <laughs> but I never thought I would see it. Similar to experience that we talked about in our rom-com episode with Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. It's so weird seeing a character so closely you identify with in media. And I think it not like, let me finish the full, like it gave me a perspective of what, what it would be like to be white in the sense that like you could put yourself and your experience and your feelings and what you go through directly onto what's being reflected reflected to you mm-hmm. and like I just never thought that would happen like my first experience with anyone who kind of I felt related to I think that I from memory was Vanessa Hudgens in High School Musical I don't know whether I knew she was Filipina at the time but she was the first actress I was like I feel like I kind of see myself in you like I saw myself physically in that oh and yes Filipino like AAPI like if you want to get particular on it but she was like the first actress who I felt like I kind of saw myself in mm-hmm. ever which is why I always question whether that's the reason Zac Efron was one of my first crushes yep yeah, Zac Efron as well oh but that's very interesting but Nora is a whole different level and it was definitely an experience of like someone else it's a thing of like someone else has my story which I think we all know in the real life but when it's portrayed in media and media is kind of like this not like clouded but this other world we kind of think of like this show is going out to millions of people millions of people are now seeing someone who has my story even mm-hmm. though it's a small part of the larger show. And the lead is Asian. We'll get more into that later, but putting an Asian male in that in that position of being the desired one, being the hot one, being the one who girls want mm-hmm. is only starting to become a thing. I think Netflix's new show Moxie also has it, which frankly to me kind of bothers me because it feels a little performative on Netflix side, but we're not going to get into that too much right now. I don't know. I'm definitely liking this upward tick in the trend of Asian male leads and I don't know if he still listens. I haven't checked our Spotify readings recently. Um, I know. He stopped, he stopped giving us feedback, so we're going to assume he stopped listening. We'll see. I'll probably still cut it. But the thing is for me, like, I'm going to make a – I don't think it's a bold statement. Any man of any ethnicity can be attractive or unattractive. Well, like, I'm just saying that's like we need – I think that we need to stop getting into this idea of, like, oh, if you're a Hispanic male, like, the highest level of attractiveness that you can reach is nine like if you're a Hispanic 10 you're a white 8 mm, yeah okay I get that I find people of all colors real attractive and some of y'all men are real ugly sorry <laughs> damn <laughs> just coming for 50% of our listenership today 53 actually if we're going with Spotify oh okay they could be attractive men we don't know who listens to this but I think there have been stereotypes about the way certain men or certain women in certain groups behave are seen as societally attractive or unattractive. And seeing the male, well, one of the male leads, Hunter, being half Taiwanese, half American, he's actually, I'm pretty sure, half Canadian, was definitely a change that I like seeing in media. I personally didn't think he was very attractive, but there are a lot of there are a lot of male leads in other show who I don't think are very attractive either looking back on like the show objectively but when a show positions someone as the desirable hot one while you're watching that show and you're invested in that storyline you kind of agree with it and you're like okay I don't really see it but like I get it and doing that with a person of color for such a broad audience as Netflix International one I think can do huge things for the way Asian men get roles in the future and Asian men are perceived throughout society. No, I do have to say, as far as all of the men go in this show, none of them were particularly in my taste, but they're also not in my age range. So I think I'm okay with that. 
We love someone who's accepting of their aging process. Oi. Okay. Neither was I agreed. Frankly, I think Sav has aged really well. And then he has. I felt different once I found out Marcus was Australian. I know. I love that scene where they definitely just wanted to throw in his true accent. When did they because, do that? Um, when they're in the, the locker room, when Jenny's fixing her hair and he walks away and she's like, well, actually, I think you oh, sound more like oh, this, mate. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember him speaking Australian there, but I remember that scene. Oh, that's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he responds and he like throws out all of like the cliche Australian things oh, that like people wow. say back at her. Yeah. I was too focused on the part where like they almost had sex in the shower for that one. Oh, that's right. So not Gilmore Girls, just to affirm one more time for the people in the back. Very much not Gilmore Girls. Um, I think if we're if we're gonna go down that route, should we talk about should we talk about Frankie Max? Yes. I don't know where that relation's coming from, but sure. Well, in Gilmore Girls, we didn't have a same-sex relationship or couple until the revival. But in Jenny and Georgia, we get Max, who she and her family, they're all very upfront. Her family's incredibly supportive of her. Her friends are very supportive of her. I think that in terms of navigating coming into I, I don't I don't know the right term for this, coming into your sexuality. Uh, coming it's it's not coming out because she doesn't come out on the show. She's that's something that's been established before. But I felt that the way that they living her navigated sexuality, her blossoming. I, I I like that. We'll we'll go with living her sexuality. I I liked the way that they portrayed it because it was something that I hadn't really seen in television. I've seen a lot of coming out stories, but none but nothing really about what came after that. I also feel like there's a lot more stories of gay men than lesbians, but I don't know if that's just the media I consume. Oh no, I agree. The only slight thing as neither of us are in the LGBTQ community, feel free to comment, critique, give us feedback on that. Additionally, I do not believe that Sarah Weissman is a part of that community. Angela can fact check that, but I haven't seen anything. So it again, I think she's great, but I also think you could have cast someone who's lived it. Mm -hmm. But Angela will confirm this for the show notes. Definitely. I love her personality. I love I love the character. I, I think she's very, she's a great example of someone who is a well-intentioned Caucasian person, especially coming from someone with a father on the show who is deaf. I think she's very well-intentioned in things, but I know there was a scene when she was introducing Ginny that you had a bit to say on. So I really like Max, and I also don't like some of the things that she's done. So she kind of comes out at like a draw for me, but in her real introductory scene with Jenny, she actually tosses out a bunch of microaggressions, which she then kind of tries to explain away with the phrase like, oh, sorry, sorry if I'm being a dick, like I'm just a white person living in an all-white community, so I don't really know how to say this correctly. So she she's asked Jenny if she can touch her hair, if she can touch her skin, like, oh gosh, like can I not do that? Is that like a is that like a white girl asking a black girl the wrong thing? And it's just like, granted, I get I get that these are young teenagers and 
frankly, as a teenager, young adult myself, a lot of the conversations that I had with people where I was trying to figure out my identity and how to express myself and they were doing the same, they weren't handled in the best, most nuanced and educated manner. But I think that the show could have taken an opportunity to give a different perspective there and maybe, you know, she had said those things and then she could have caught herself and been like, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Can, is, is that okay? Like, can we talk about this? Like, I should, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I think the show is a better scene in terms of kind of the curly hair microaggression, which we'll get to in just a second. Because even going back to that first scene in class with Ginny and Frankie Max and that class, the AP English class and the teacher in that class, I think the teacher, the white male AP English teacher assumes Ginny is not going to be able to keep up with the class, that she should drop down, it's going to be hard, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, she's exceptionally well read, very smart, kind of schools the teacher as soon as she reads the book list, knowing that most of these are white male authors, probably the one black author is going to be used during MLK month, Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And the first comment that Max makes is kind of like, yeah, what she said, echoing the feminist part of that. But then she and a lot of the other classmates kind of use it as an excuse to like not do the work. I think a comparison, I don't know, Angela, you could tell me if I'm off the if I'm not on the right track here is kind of like in the hate you give when all the kids go to protest of kind of like, yeah, this is bad. But like, in my personal experience, that just means I don't have to go to class that day or I'm showing performative activism. But then I also don't have to read this book or do this assignments or continue my school day because we're all impacted by this racist rhetoric action thing book. No, I think that's a good comparison. And actually, I I hadn't even thought of that. And it made me think of when uh, we were actually in high school. Do you remember the Occupy movement? The Wall Street one. Yes. Yes. So did your high school do anything in relation to that? Because I know at mine, they, I don't know, like a sophomore or a junior or something. And I think the seniors decided to petition if they could have an Occupy protest, which meant that they didn't go to class and they would sit in the courtyard. I don't know if anything really ever came from it, but they tried to get the whole school involved. And it was one of those things that kind of felt like that as well. Like it started with very good intentions, but a lot of people were enthusiastic about it because it meant like, oh good, I don't have to go to algebra today. Mm, got it. Um, My school, I don't know how specific this is. So um, one of those very, very, very strict religious organization churches things came to my school. I know the organization is big, but I don't know how many schools they've picketed in the Bay Area. My school had a pro LGBT group. So they decided one day to come pick it up my school. And I know students were gathering in the courtyard, like, oh my God, like having signs like Jesus was a Jew, Jesus had two dads, like very, very liberal thing against them. So we all stood in the front of the school and our school had a bunch of stairs going up. So they were on the other side of the street while all the students were down and it was safe. And like the teachers were there, they knew what was going on. But like, I don't, I think at the time it could have been seen. Like Looking back, I'm sure some people were definitely doing it performatively. I did it to kind of feel, it was my way of feeling like I was showing support for those people. Mm -hmm. Like the groups of like, like these were the kind of people who like petitioned soldiers' funerals kind of bad. So like, I definitely was wasn't okay with the group. So I was doing it as like a protest thing united with people. I can't say how everyone's motives were, but that's what mine Mm -hmm. were. And it was nice. Everyone was dancing, playing music, very community. That's good. Mm -hmm. My apologies for the rough transition. Hopefully y'all getting the second episode today makes up for that. You heard me correct. This episode actually got split in two. We just had too much to say. No one should be surprised. We always have a lot to say. We hope you enjoy part two and see you on the other side in episode 17.